Hi there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We'd like to take a moment to announce that we are launching a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash TalkingTolkien. We'll also post it on our Facebook and Twitter. We'd appreciate it if you'd take a moment to check out the Patreon and hopefully give some money. Obviously, you don't need to give. We'd appreciate you sharing our podcast just as much. With just a little bit of extra funding, we'll be able to buy server space, equipment, and other necessities to help our podcast grow. Eventually, our plan is to offer other podcasts about other beloved works and overlooked classics. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Tolkien. This is our first episode for Lord of the Rings. I'm John. I'm Katie. I'm Chase. And before we get into the meat of the episode, I'd also like to take a moment to announce that we have launched a second podcast. Now, you can go to our website at theextracurricular.com. That is now the name of our network, uh, and explore that podcast. It's called Grapeshot. Uh, we are reading the canon and drinking wine. So, canon, Grapeshot pun on wine, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Anyway, so we're reading Huck Finn right now and drinking wine, and I hope you enjoy it because I've enjoyed making it. Uh, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher under Grapeshot, so please take a second and check us out. Thank you. So on to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this episode is detailing the prologue and chapter one of the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. I also, in my copy, have like a note on the oh, text a and a forward to the second edition. So what you have there, yeah, is the second edition, which is um, what you should read because so the, the 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 history of the writing of the Lord of the Rings is almost as epic as the Lord of the Rings itself, and it's just because. There was so there were so many revisions that had to be made because at the time, the the publishers would go and fix little things that didn't necessarily need to be fixed. In particular, changing words like uh, dwarvish to dwarfish, which we talked about before. Tolkien says Mm -hmm. that you know he uses dwarves, dwarvish, and elves, elvish, Uh, and that was like the cardinal sin of changing (laughs) for him was changing elvish to elfish. Uh, so he had to go back and fix some other things. And then there were also a few little inconsistencies that he wanted to fix. So did you read this as well, or are you just familiar with it? Um, I read it, but I'm also familiar with it. And Chase, yeah. did you read this? Well, technically, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> but I dodged bullet because Katie and I actually technically have the same edition. Mm-hmm. We have this... Uh, my, my this, is the, this is the 50th edition, or 50th anniversary edition. Mine's digital, though. Yeah. Mine's I, on online. I have so. a feeling that we're probably reading the same... Yeah, uh, it probably is. Just with a different binding. Yeah. That's well, this is... Common. Yeah, so it's the second edition, which, again, is the one that you would read because it's been reprinted. And, yeah, this this particular one is a 50th anniversary edition, so it's got, a, like, an extra forward from some dude... <laughs> yeah, well, and so it, it just details how, you know, in 1993, they entered it into a computer for the first time. And yeah. They were, they were hoping that that would help make, like, a standard uniform version of the text. Yeah. And uh, 
this anecdote about maybe in 300 years people will finally have like a canonical edition of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and what happened was the text became an AI called Gandalf and tried to and it's just the government. The Lord you know? of the Rings just gains its own sentience and it's our first artificially intelligent being. It goes off to the sea and makes its own home. <laughs> and then um, in the foreword to the second edition, which is written by Tolkien, um, he basically talks about the process of writing it and how he started immediately after The Hobbit and how it kind of became a work that was something different than he had it evolved, intended. Yeah. And, and he's also trying to address the whole, ooh, is the ring the bomb? And, yeah. you know, is this an allegory for the Second World War? And he says, no, no. because I started writing it in 1937. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, obviously I my life was affected by the war and my son was off fighting and I serialized my works to send to him. Uh, and what else? He, he, he's talking about stuff almost in like, he's basically providing spoilers for, for some certain things, mm-hmm. uh, but only kind of quietly so. So if you read it, you're probably not going to remember later on. Yeah. But he's saying, you know, this didn't happen because the same thing happened to England. This was already part yeah, of like my... Yeah, the scouring of the Shire is not based on... Uh, I mean, I was that, 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 explicitly that... trying not to talk about the scouring of the Shire since... It's it a book actually... chapter. Yeah, but... It's a chapter title. But in like a year... It's going to take oh, like a year it. to get there. I'll forget it. Don't and worry. And Chase doesn't know what that means yet. I'll forget Well, it. you still don't know what it means. You just okay. know that the chapter title okay. is called The Scouring okay, of the, the point being is, so a banana is just a banana, is what, yeah. is what so he's trying to say. Here's the thing, is that Tolkien, you know, he, he has several influences, some which are very clear. It's like, we know he's very interested in philology and comparative linguistics, especially Welsh and Finnish, which are what the Elvish languages are based on. Um, religion, fairy tales, Norse and Germanic mythology, among other uh, types of mythology. Beowulf, which of course Tolkien loved Beowulf, and there's a lot of work he did on Beowulf. Uh, and then some suggested by critics, a lot of critics believe that Lord of the Rings was also inspired somewhat by uh, Nibelung's Ring by Wagner. So there are obviously several influences to his works and several of his own experiences too that sort of informed the way that he would describe war and whatnot. But yeah, he's has very staunchly said this is not allegorical for the war or the bomb or anything. Yeah. He says, you know, ju- as, as any author would, Tolkien says the book is up to the reader's interpretation. And a few passages that I like is he says... The real war does not resemble the legendary war in its process or its conclusion. If it had inspired or directed the development of the legend, then certainly the ring would have been seized and used against Sauron. He would not have been annihilated but enslaved, and Barad-dûr would not have been destroyed but occupied. Saruman, failing to get possession of the ring, would in the confusion and treacheries of the time have found in Mordor the missing links in his own researches into ring lore, and before long he would have made a great great ring of his own with which to challenge the self-styled ruler of Middle-earth. In that conflict, both sides would have held hobbits in hatred and contempt. They would not have long survived even as slaves. I like how he actually provides, like, if I had written as an allegory, Mm -hmm. this is what would have happened. Yeah, yeah. And then, just another note, he does say, uh, as the years go by, it seems now often forgotten that to be caught in youth by 1914 was no less hideous an experience than to be involved in 1939 and the following years. By 1918, all but one of my close friends was dead. Yep. And on with that, Katie, I believe you have some fun facts for us. <laughs> yes, I do, because, yeah, like I said, when we start a new book, I feel like I have to, like, nerd out and do fun trivia and stuff. I have so. one question <laughs> to start you off with. I know you have it there, but it was I didn't look it up. Okay. When? That's my question. When, when, when was When was this book published? Okay. 1954. It was, it was published in, in 1954 and 1955. 
Uh, he wrote on it in stints intermittently between 1937 and 1949. It okay. wasn't published until 54 and 55. And it was published... The, the Lord of the Rings... I'm going to say this I don't know how many times. The Lord of the Rings is not a trilogy. People call it a trilogy all the time. It's not a trilogy. It is one book. It was divided into three volumes for publishing reasons due to post-war paper shortages. Uh, clearly, this could not have been published all in one gigantic tome at the time. So it was, it was split into three um, volumes. Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. And a note, Tolkien actually didn't like the title, The Return of the King, because he felt it was too spoilery. He actually wanted it to be called The War, uh, the War of the Ring, but the publisher, for some reason, didn't like that, I guess, so they chose The Return of the King anyway. That happens all the time <laughs> where publishers and stuff disagree over titling and stuff yeah. like that. Like, I always feel like it should go to, it should default to the author. A, a brief note in addition to that is in the foreword he says that he began work on this before The Hobbit was even published but after The yeah. Hobbit was finished yeah. and then he decided he needed to go back and write kind of a history and that he wanted to publish that but he he thought that some people might not want to read it and then he says turns out that some people turn to all people yeah. <laughs> and so I completed those works for my personal purpose and the publishers wanted him to write a sequel to The Hobbit they wanted more stories about hobbits and so when he started working on Lord of the Rings that's kind of what was happening and again I think I, I told you guys about this before that uh, Strider's name was originally Trotter yeah. and he was a hobbit and it was because he wore like wooden clogs on his feet or something I don't know it was cute it's a weird detail but then as Tolkien was writing it he realized that he had become more interested in the power of the ring and what would come of that uh, so of course Lord of the Rings evolved into something entirely different and he drew back on the, those kind of little glimpses that we see of the power of the ring in, in, in The Hobbit. And uh, we have what we have today. Well, here's mean, the Lord of the if Rings. you're reading along with us, and if you've not read... Okay, as a person who's never read this stuff, I can already tell Ralph that this book is so much grander mm -hmm. and bigger... And not just scale, but in time scale. Yes. Then the Hobbit. It's it's almost. It's not off putting. It's almost like. This is me. It's almost like kind of refreshing in a weird mm -hmm. way of like, like the Hobbit was such a nice little wonderful book, mm -hmm. and now coming to something that's like. Oh, stakes are a little bit higher. Well, in the this Lord one. of the Rings is an epic high fantasy. Yeah. Uh, so it's intensely more dense. It's. Uh, of course, of epic length. It covers several years. It's got huge scape and a gigantic universe that it's set in that, of course, we know a lot about having read The Silmarillion now. Um, but there's this is kind of like even more drawing on stuff from The Silmarillion, too. And he says, not to return to the foreword again, uh, he says that one of his, his purposes as an author, you know, is not to tell an allegorical story, but rather just to tell a story that was kind of grand in scale, that was long that was massive and, and that could excite of, people and that was full of detail and mm -hmm. he says if anything the only criticism that i have listened to mm -hmm. that i think is legitimate is that the story is too short mm -hmm. <laughs> but then but then he also says when i when people tell me that parts certain parts of it are boring other people tell me that those parts are the greatest and so it it's <laughs> it, i i feel like there's there's kind of something for everyone and, and in a great moment of self-satisfaction he says that some reviewers have described it as contemptible which is okay because i find their work contemptible yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh which again i just i don't know it, 
He was so delightful. There's also a note when he's, you know, the bit when I mentioned about how he had started work on the Silmarillion and they declined to publish it. He said that it was kind of curious finding himself writing the the end to a world that nobody really knew the beginning of. Yeah. And of course now we do because we've taken about it in this kind of chronological order instead of this publishing order. But yeah. Yeah. And well, and he originally had wanted to publish this as a two two novel set, uh, quote unquote novel. Uh, with the Silmarillion and Lord of the Rings, but of course the publishers didn't want the Silmarillion oh, at the time. Cool. <laughs> Fun fact uh, that probably most people know, but the Lord of the Rings is the second highest selling novel of all time. I thought it was book. Novel. Oh. May- maybe book. What's the first one? The first one is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I had always heard that it was the second highest selling book of all time, and the first one was the Bible. And then I thought you were calling the novel a Bible, or the Bible a novel. And I was like, that's surprisingly political for, for this show. But, um, uh, I mean, I can, I can believe that. Yeah. Also, The Hobbit is the fourth best-selling novel of all time. What is third, Atlas Shrugged? I don't know. I didn't look that up. Um, I'm going to take a wild guess. It's To Kill a Mockingbird. I would, I would uh, think yeah. like Anna Karenina. Some, yeah, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Something a little more canonical. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 prolific. Uh, it's sold more than 150 million copies and has been translated into 38 languages, which hey, is I, pretty rad. I didn't know that. It's it's one of those things like this is such a prolific like this is such a work that's so widely accepted for yeah. people to say like, oh, this is like my little thing to you. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perspective <laughs> and and of course, the Lord of the Rings has become vastly influential in. Not only the genre of fantastical literature, but also in music and video games and film, and there there is so yeah. much inspired. Off I mean, of. we'd previously mentioned the metal band Amon Amarth. Yep, whose name comes from the Silmarillion. Yep, uh, we've talked about Dungeons and Dragons a lot. Yep. that's you know fairly obvious. The th- Elder Scrolls. Some some elements are kind of based loosely. Oh around yeah, this world. no, yeah, y- y- yeah. A, like the high elves are exactly <laughs> yep. the way the gods are bickering with each other and talking with each other is very similar to Iluvatar and Luvatar's children mm-hmm. and the Maya stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I I personally am kind of against the classification science fiction slash fantasy uh, because one time I had somebody call Harry Potter sci fi. And what? I got into a huge, huge <laughs> argument with them in which I started mocking them by saying, you're a scientist, Harry. <laughs> uh, anyway, I do feel like he kind of pioneered the concept of world building, which is so important yeah. in, in sci-fi as well as in fantasy. Absolutely. I mean, in many ways you could point at and say something like, I mean, you wouldn't have Star Wars without John Carter of Mars, but you also wouldn't have it without this as well. Because I feel like there's I mean, similar tropes running similar oh, yeah. character archetypes well you, oh, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't have star wars without joseph campbell but you wouldn't really have joseph campbell yeah you, <laughs> you wouldn't, wouldn't have the hero's journey without <laughs> we can go so far back with this exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh i mean you know every, every everybody knows that but i still just feel like you have to pay respect where respect is due and lord of the rings is the father of them all <laughs> one so, book to rule them all <laughs> one book to rule them all exactly and then, and then uh printers bind and them. And the printers bind them. <laughs> so, yeah, um, let's go back and just very briefly remember kind of what happened at, way back several thousand years earlier. Oh, Sauron no. Oh, no. was uh, the sort of first servant of Morgoth. the Dark Lord. Morgoth, yeah, the, the biggest bad that ever was to bad. Chase, do you remember what Morgoth's original name was? Uh, Melkor. Yes, yes. good I job. It, I had to use it for a search recently. Pop quiz passed. 
So, um, Sauron is this kind of this kind of next big bad who decides that he's going to call himself the Lord of all Middle Earth. Um, and he he's in corporeal form, and he's right. kind of princely. And yeah, yeah, and he's he's a he's like a corrupter. He uses his wit to try and turn people. And remember that he is responsible for the downfall of Numenor by trying to turn them against the Valar, saying that they could get the immortality of the elves by setting foot in Amman, which of course they can't. So then, you know, Manwe calls Iluvatar and says, hey, let's sink Numenor since they decided to side with Sauron. Um, and if then, I was casting Saruman in princely form, I would cast Aaron Eckhart. Casting Sauron in princely form? Yes. Okay. I don't know why I came to that. Just Saruman is different, although that's interesting. That you but yeah, so uh, Sauron... I would cast David Cross. <laughs> Sauron survives this sinking of Numenor and kind of slinks off to, to Mordor and has, again, sort of changed physical form uh, because oh, he was beaten pretty badly. Didn't he have to release from physical form yes. to escape? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly... Because the, the, the entire island was crumbling in upon itself. And the funny thing is... All this stuff came back to me this past, during this reading because the word Numenor showed up yep. <laughs> in the prologue. And I had to go, oh yeah, that. I remember that now. I also had a realization that at the end of The Hobbit, there are 11 left of the original party. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of The Lord of the Rings, they talk about how 11 is like a special and important number. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Back to the Akalva. Yeah, so um, other important thing that Sauron did was have these things created called the Rings of Power. So his plan was to create these rings and use those rings to, again, gain dominion in Middle-earth and bend people to his will. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. That, of course, being the great ring poem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, too bad for our friend Sauron here. It didn't really work out because the elves kind of figured out what he was trying to do. And they had forged three rings that he didn't know about. Chase, and what are the names of the three rings? Okay, I don't remember the names of the three rings. <laughs> I remember them very That's clearly, very though. There's Narya, Ninya, but I don't remember the last one. But I do remember uh, how remember they were, the whole thing where they didn't know where one of them was, and then it turned out that uh, Gandalf had it the yes. entire time. Yep. Because Kyrdan mm-hmm. the shipwright gave it to him. Yep, yep. yep. So the elves realized what was up, and they took the rings off, and realized what was happening, and... But it was there still through the power of the rings that yes. Rivendell and Lothlorien were able to stay kind of elevated. Yeah, elevated. You know, then we had this great last alliance of men and elves to fight against Sauron in the in this huge war, and uh, led by Gilgalad and Isildur. I thought it was Isildur's father. Sorry, Isildur's. I mean, yeah, Elendil, and then Isildur and, Ar- and Anarion also fought. Yes, and and of course they were killed. Isildur takes the shards of, of his father's sword Narsil that had broken when he fell on it and cuts the ring from Sauron's finger and now Isildur is covetous covetous of the ring and decides not to destroy it. And, and the point being from that story is for the, for the most part in the scope of history to this point Sauron was gone mm-hmm. was dead 
was yeah. done, was gone forever. Well, well he, he was And then gone, the ring but, was kept going. But well, his spirit had not gone But, but they didn't know now. this. And, we didn't and, know, and know this, yet. this yet. The ring betrayed Isildur, who was shot in the back yeah. while trying to escape. Uh, I, I, th- I do and think it's River interesting. And the River Anduin. We decided, or you decided to... To give this background, and mm-hmm. I realized only after you had started giving this background that Peter Jackson does the same thing at the beginning yep. of the Fellowship of the Ring. What's interesting, though, is that if you read the Lord of the Rings in the 1950s when it was first published, you would not have this background. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like it's given to you in this, it's it's uh, given to you in this wildly awesome info dump that I've already read because I got mm-hmm. so wrapped up in this book, I kept reading, so I've already got last week's next week's reading already yep. done because. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awesome book, by the way. So after, oh, yeah, it's an awesome book. So after the ring abandons Isildur, it kind of is hidden for a while, and then a strange little sort of hobbit-like creature named Deagle, uh, several, you know, hundreds of years later, happens upon the ring and finds it, and then his cousin Smeagol wants it for his own for a birthday it's present. My birthday, you got to give it to me for my birthday. So he, the ring kind of does its thing and Smeagol ends up killing his cousin Deagle and that the and then Smeagol was banished then from his hometown and after several hundreds, hundreds years. of years becomes the creature Gollum which we come to know and then we all know what happens how Bilbo comes to find the ring and this is where our story begins and an interesting revelation happened in this part too that us as the audience apparently were privy to knowledge that people in this world, the people, the few people who knew the story of the Hobbit before Lord of the Rings, the characters in the story, apparently Bilbo lied. Yeah. Yes. About aspects well, of the story. So here I am reading this. So this comes in as the prologue, and here I am reading this, wondering if this is kind of Tolkien's wink, wink, nod, nod to the fact that he had revised. The Hobbit and republished it. Probably I, almost like the first edition of The Hobbit was Bilbo's alter well, narrative, and then the second one was the true one. And that's kind of the 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 narrative that we have is that The Hobbit is based upon Bilbo's private diary that he then called there and back again. It was also co- uh, originated from what they they called it the rest the the Red Book um, or okay. the Red Book of the Perianath yeah. or of of Westmarch. And, and uh, I know you didn't like reading the prologue, Chase, <coughs> and it, it took a, me two weeks to read. There's it. a lot of ne- <laughs> there's a lot of information in the prologue that's unnecessary. But what I like about the prologue is that it is surprisingly intertextual and mm-hmm. the kind like not not linguistically speaking, but just kind of like intertextually. This is the kind of prologue that you would expect from a Vladimir Nabokov novel because yeah. they are directly talking about the text how the text was formed, that the text came from, you know, this version, which was compiled with this version, blah, blah, blah. And what, what you realize when, when reading this prologue is that both The Hobbit and then The Lord of the Rings are narratives assembled by Bilbo and Frodo, respectively. By, mm-hmm. by characters within the story. And yeah. then it even says that, you know, there was a, a copy of the Red Book that was sent off to Gondor mm-hmm. and... You know, a couple of decades later, Mary's grandson requested a copy of that, and then they compiled more of it in in the Shire. And oh, the things yeah. were corrected and yeah, edited was, and added. Yeah. And yeah. well, I didn't I didn't necessarily hate it. It was more of like it, it was like kind of like surprising and a little off putting to get that much. Of it. But the information in there 
made the world pretty big well, before we entered the Shire. But it also yeah. gets into stuff that is not, to me, as interesting. Like, oh, there are three types of hobbits. <laughs> and, you know, as it turns out, one of the types of hobbits is, like, very much the Tookish type. Yep. Uh, you know, one is, like, a little grubblier and shorter. Well, and one wears boots and they're weird. But the other thing about that, though, that's kind of neat is that, you know, the three different types of hobbits kind of interact with different people based on where they had moved yeah. to, you know, which is, I don't know, it's neat. Hey, my my question that I had throughout all the Silmarillion that I kept pestering on with got answered Yep. in that chapter. It's, so. and, uh, as I said, we're, we're, what, what are Hobbit? The, the, you know, what is Hobbit? The reason the Silmarillion doesn't contain Hobbits is, again, because the Silmarillion is the history of the elves, and the elves didn't know much about Hobbits. Yeah. And, you know, Hobbits kind of had hidden themselves away, as we learn in this prologue. So, yeah, the, the prologue is broken into five parts, basically. There's the, uh, there's concerning hobbits where we learn all this stuff about. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just realized it's like it's like in the Hobbit, the brief thing we get the Hobbit is like like almost like like from us like uh, what's the word anecdotal sort of way, mm-hmm. and this one is like straight up like here is some cultural stuff, here's some like social your, stuff, like here's some biology. Book. This is like your social studies textbook. Like this is yeah. the prologue. We're gonna like here's you're you're gonna learn about all this as you read Either this that, novel. Or, <laughs> you know what it is? Is it's like the really really cut and dry introduction to yeah. uh, like a participant observer narrative. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Like an anthropology. Oh, totally. Yeah. So yeah, we get. Or the first now, part. Now I'm just going to read The Lord of the Rings as like an anthropological text <laughs> in which Frodo is a participant observer Frodo is a participant. <laughs> in ring culture. Oh. Poor Frodo. So, yeah. We had Concerning Hobbits and again we learned more in depth about them. You know, Previously what we'd learned from The Hobbit was just that they were, you know, small and liked food and were peaceful and all that. And we learned a little bit more about them, that they're crafty, they're good at creating things, they... And the one true art they're, was yeah, my favorite yeah, bit of the art. entire thing that seemed to uh, confound most people, <laughs> apparently, which I just found hilarious and amazing, that smoking pipe weed was an art form for mm-hmm. them. And that Gandalf coming into there has, like, appreciated the art form. And I always felt like, when I was reading it, I was like, this is really funny to me. Because it's, like, very... It, it's 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 very kind of, like, um... What's the word? Uh, dry about it. But I feel like there's this joke in there about, like, oh, yeah. Oh, and absolutely. Gandalf appreciated the oh, art of the weed as well. Absolutely it's a joke. <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's meant to be funny. They also talk about how... They had to cultivate it specially in Hobbiton, but it turns out it grew naturally in Gondor, and Gondorians yeah. only praised it for its flowers and didn't know anything and the, about it. And it, like, it had a pleasing scent or whatever, but they but nobody had figured out. Not even the wizards had figured out to smoke it. That was us. We were <laughs> just the feel like this ones. Hobbit and Gandalf. Hey, you don't, you don't smoke this? You gotta smoke this. You're gonna see some freaky stuff. You yeah. know? Also, but also, they do establish kind of the political order, or mostly lack thereof, mm-hmm. in, in the Shire and among Hobbits, saying that originally it was granted to them by the High King in the times when Gondor's land stretched all the way up to where they are. And they originally were, you know, quote-unquote servants of the king, even though they kind of just they were, did they, their yeah, own thing. They were, they were granted, it was pretty hands-off. They were granted this land beyond a bridge under the condition that they maintained the roads and the bridge so the king's messengers could, could kind of speedily move along. Yeah. And well, it's we're told that way, way back, before the settling of the Shire, some hobbits had fought in battles before and they were handy with a bow uh but of course hobbits and bilbo's time that this had been this was way out of recent memory thousands of years yeah and that no hobbit 
ever had warlike tendencies. They didn't even ever fight, really, uh, except for there was one battle, and that was the, uh, oh, where is it? Because I, I, I thought it was funny. Is this the one where the orcs were trying to take over the Shire? Yeah, it was where the and orcs Eisen were And Eisengrim to... the second was yeah. able to, yeah. to keep them off. But that they had also, so the hobbits also had kind of their own, they didn't really have a government, but they had their own form of quote-unquote hierarchy, and they had a, a, a thane, which was their leader. They took as a chieftain. And that line mostly is in the Took family, and that's why the Tooks are still so respectfully regarded in, in hobbit society. Um, but basically now it's just kind of a title, and they're, uh, a, the only really leader that they have is the mayor, who is basically in charge of throwing banquets yeah, <laughs> for holidays. Yeah, well, and also I figured out it's like it's like this is a society that's so um like well for a moment there actually this moment I was like is this a caste system what the what the what it was when they were talking about like Sam and the Gamgee family and how mm-hmm. like you're gonna be in this you know you're gonna be in this um, state of life so like, you're not concerned with I'm skipping hell of a but you're not concerned with um, talk outside the shire. You're concerned with fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. growing in the in the gardens. Well, that's, that's what just you're born gen- into. That's just generally, though, because anyway, because hobbits have a tendency to stay secluded. Oh yeah, no, it's not necessarily. Yeah. It's a, it's just an interesting thing I noticed. Oh yeah, yeah. So I actually uh, found a political science paper that analyzed the the structure, and what it most closely represents is an anarcho-syndicalist commune. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Because yeah. they're basically self-sufficient, no, too. They joke flew right over your heads. It, it, but it makes sense. I, I didn't vote for you. Nobody votes for a king. Just because some watery talk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You really made a... <laughs> yes, I made a Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail joke. Um, How did that... You said commune. That's the thing I grafted, too. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it all, Okay, so the fourth section of the prologue <laughs> is just of the Finding of the Ring. And it's kind of a brief narrative of rehashing the, of Bilbo's yes. adventure but what what I always found interesting in this is that he uh, it says the party was assailed by orcs and a high pass of the Misty Mountains as they went towards Wilderland and so it happens that Bilbo was lost for a while in the black orc mines deep under the mountains and there as he groped in vain put, found a ring etc etc so I don't know if you remember Chase but every time we talked about the hobbits I would say orcs instead of goblins yeah and I, and I was actually I noticed this too where I was like I was reading it going, wait, those are goblins. Not or- are orcs and goblins the same? Or was it a different... Just use a different word. Just using a different word. Just use a different word. That's it. He called them goblins in The Hobbit, but calls them Not, orcs. Yeah, he yeah, calls them orcs. Yep. So that's the only reason... Yep. Okay. Because I was actually thinking very hard about that. <laughs> and like, is this back to that whole, I can't trust any narrator thing? <laughs> like, no, that was just a little confounding thing. Okay. But we are told, however, in this fourth part of the pro- prologue about the finding of the ring... That um, only Frodo and Gandalf know about the ring when he comes back to to, to the Shire, which of course we we know that. Um, and specifically, what Bilbo told Gandalf, Gandalf had to basically force out of him, yeah. and it became a, a sort of contentious like subject mm-hmm. in their friendship. Like mm-hmm. that was a tough moment for them. Mm-hmm. And anytime it was brought up after them, I imagine, I mean, as as we see happen actually in these in these readings. Uh, B was uh, it was not a good thing no. it, it, it was a strain on their friendship in many ways because of what the ring is I feel like yeah. is part of it but also the thing that Tolkien tells us in this prologue is that Bilbo's story would not have been nearly as important 
as it was in the history of this world had he not found the ring. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it would have just been an adventure for treasure, right? Uh, but even even the Battle of Five Armies, it's kind of go kind of goes. Well, that was whatever. Yeah. You know that got figured out and everything. Yep. It's this ring. It's this, this little yeah. little tiny tiny thing. That's the reason why hobbits become at this point a little more important in the world and a little bit more known too in the world. Um, and then we uh, we get at the very the very last part of this prologue we get a note on the Shire records and this basically tells us uh, how hobbits became a little bit more interested in their history. So it's because of these events that hobbits became interested in their history and started recording their oral histories and traditions, started actually writing stuff down. Um, And we're told that by the end of the first century in the fourth age, uh, so after all of this happens, there were libraries in the Shire with books filled with that that was the part that weirded me hobbits. out was this back to thoughts that I hadn't I had definitely during the Silmarillion but not while reading The Hobbit which mm-hmm. was man I'm interested in that fourth age man I'm interested in what the future of this world look, <laughs> look like well, you know and we do also get a little bit more detail on the museum that Bilbo had lent his yeah I've got a name there's for a, there's it a town called Mikael Downs yeah Downing Downs Mikael Mikael Downing or Mikael Delving Delving yes yeah. yeah. and uh, Hobbits loved collecting things and anything that they didn't have a use for but didn't want to get rid of they called a matham yeah. and so it was the <laughs> matham house of mickle delving and and uh bilbo's chainmail mithril that he had taken home from the adventure he donated that to that museum and yeah the, the other thing too that we we had learned about hobbits was that they love to give gifts so that's mm-hmm. where a lot of these coming from too like the, maybe it's well there was this like this you. element of uh Hobbits are kind of hoarders, and they like to kind of like keep things. Mm-hmm. But it's also from the fact that they're constantly giving things, mm-hmm. and then they, so they're like, "Well, all these things have been given, and all this stuff I've accumulated, I'm going to give that as well mm-hmm. to people who are to hobbits who are also <laughs> going to be, you know, collecting things, and then they're going to want to give those things away as well." Oh, because, yeah. yeah. There, there were a number of Mathams whose original purpose nobody really even knew anymore. They yeah, just, but now they just have them because they they yes. had them. So I, I imagine it's something them. like. That's almost like party favors now. Like, you know, like, like the Just thing. Just like those silly things, yeah. You know, like the thing in, like, we don't have it here, but the, the crackers uh, yeah. in yeah. England. Like, kind of like those. Where it's like, why do we do this? Like, who knows? Just do it. I, I actually have. A crown and a little. Yeah, whistle. I actually have stuff from a, a cracker from several years ago at uh, New Year's. And it's like a little table bowling ball set. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's got, like, <laughs> pins and a little tiny bowling ball. And you can play. Whatever. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, information-packed prologue, and now we get into uh, the proper book, The Fellowship of the Ring, book one, and our first chapter, A Long Expected Party, which... Awesome title. Great title. Awesome <laughs> title. Right off the bat, the best title so far. Right? So, Bilbo, we begin, has announced that he's going to have this great big party. He's turning 111, which is a number of great respect for a hobbit and also time we also get a timeline sense of yeah. this is 60 years 60 after years. uh and he hasn't he hasn't really aged and they call him preserved right and not only is he turning 111 but his nephew frodo baggins who's he is adopted as his heir is turning 33, 33. which is they i mean they share a birthday but 33 is also the age of uh 
legal majority coming of age. Yes. Yeah, it's anytime between of age. between like a certain age and then where you were in your tweens, which made me laugh out loud. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. Tolkien invented the concept of tweens. Tweens, but of course, you know, for hobbits, tweens are a little older than our uh, human. Well, was, tweens, we would all be tweens. <laughs> it's a play yeah, of, we would be, it's a play we would of be twenty. Tweens. Yeah, is what it is. Which basically, it's 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 true though. You're still stupid when you're 20. Yeah, right? you don't you don't know anything. Well, but you're cocky and you think. Yeah, you do. exactly. You think you do, which is kind of like Frodo is just moving out of that time and now becoming an actual adult. He's learning how to adult right now. He's realizing <laughs> that muscle memory for Don Kong Country Two is not worth it anymore. <laughs> um. So yeah, Bilbo, of course, uh, you know, as we learned a little bit at the end of The Hobbit, is kind of. Everybody thinks he's peculiar, and everybody thinks Bag End is filled with tunnels of treasure. Um, and oh yeah, the little stories around uh, yeah. Bilbo are the best. It's like a getting like a like much more like beefier version of at the end of the last chapter of The Hobbit. They kept referencing how what people regarded him as, and getting like a beefier take on that, where it's like <laughs> no one knows quite what's I, going on in there. But I, they love to talk about him. I just had this idea where you could. Have- where, what we, I just had this idea of a Stephen. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I just had this idea of a Stephen King novel that's just set entirely in Bilbo's house when Bilbo's not there and people are like trying to discover what its mysteries are. Like 14. Oh, I can't remember the name of that. Short oh, story. yeah. Yeah, 1408 or whatever. Actually, in my head, I envisioned it turning into misery. Or Bilbo, shining. You know? Bilbo gets back and. Yeah, or shining. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they're, they're, you know, like we said, the other hobbits kind of like to talk about him and make speculations and whatnot. And then we have this kind of conversation that we overhear between Ham Gamgee, who is Samwise Gamgee's father. And also known as the Gaffer. Also known as the Gaffer. And the Miller. And basically... The gaffer is excited for this party, and he 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 and Sam are good friends with Bilbo and Frodo. And the gaffer has been the garden tender for Bilbo for you know what forty five years. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, for a very long time. And he says, you know, Bilbo's a, a gentleman, and he treats me with respect. They're great people, and so you should you know that this this is great. This is gonna be great. It's gonna be a great party. And the Miller is like, but they're so weird. They go off on adventures and stuff. And he keeps, he he talks about his adventures. I just think that's weird. And there's, you know, Took and his family. And that that Frodo kid, he's got uh, Brandy Buck and his family, so. And also, like, they were even, like, referencing uh, almost a little coarseness of Hobbits. uh, Where they even referenced, like... Like what befell his his parents? Yeah, in like almost like another like slide against him in a weird way. Exactly. That was that was a little g- gross for 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 them to like because they're yes. like his parents drowned. Yeah, which really hobbits have like this fear. These hobbits in particular have a fear of they have a fear of water or they have a fear of boats or something like that. Well, they don't know how to swim generally. Yeah. Swim, yeah, generally and yeah, the hobbits from Buckland do tend to use boats on the water and so that's why the, you know the brandy bucks um use boats on the river which is scandalous also they're kind of near the old forest which is also like a little bit too close to adventure like things you mm-hmm. know uh, but you know of course hamfast replies that frodo is just as nice as any other young hobbit it's and also <laughs> detailed that 
Frodo's parents were kind of related, and Frodo is both Bilbo's first and second cousin. Yeah. Once removed. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're kind of told a little bit about that, too, anyway, that, though, that, you know, most of the families tend to stick with their own kind. Family stuff is I mean, weird to the show. Yeah. That's not historically uncommon, though. No, it isn't. But so yeah, this big party's happening, and there's a lot of big stories about it because it's a big, big party. And, and Hobbits are already off the bat and about a party, which we have, we have already established in the previous book. Hab- yeah, Hobbits love uh, parties. <laughs> and then, like... There's talk of, like, fireworks going to be there. And this is around the point when Gandalf shows up, right? Yeah. Gandalf shows up on his big wagon with these, like, colorful, bright packages and a bunch of dwarves. And all the kids nice are like, Nice little addition I liked. Fireworks! And they're like, no. <laughs> you'll like, get you'll get wait. enough later. And, like, Bilbo, like, hands out pennies. Which I thought was a great little imagery. Yeah. <laughs> like that one lady on Halloween. That one lady on Halloween. That one lady on Halloween. <laughs> Yeah, and and they bring all this stuff in and unpack, and they're like, "You'll get it right." And then it it, it kind of just cuts ahead to the party. Well, not really though, because uh, so Gandalf gets there, and then we have a very brief conversation between Gandalf and Bilbo. Oh, right, yes, and yeah. So Gandalf, uh, after he arrives, and they send the kids running and whatnot. Um, Gandalf and Bilbo are inside, and Bilbo says he's in need of a holiday, and he tells Gandalf that he intends to go through with his plan, which apparently they've discussed this before and uh, he says he wants to enjoy his joke on Thursday which September 22nd is his and Frodo's birthday which is the coming Thursday and Gandalf wonders who is going to laugh at this joke that Bilbo has planned so now the day finally arrives it's September 22nd and it's a huge party. It's all these tents are set up. There's one so big that there's a tree inside of it. Yeah, there's cooks from all over. There's tons of food. Um, Practically everybody was invited, and those yeah. who weren't invited came anyway. And that didn't matter because well, there's a flood of RSVP down. letters and stuff like that. <laughs> oh yeah, they had yeah. to hire additional postmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was which, great. Which postmen, of course, are the people who have the most jobs because hobbits love to send letters to people. Those that can read and write. <laughs> those who can read and write. And so far, I'm already like noticing the special thing, and it was a little bit. It was definitely a little bit in the Hobbit, but but it's already happened multiple times in Lord of the Rings, which is Tolkien has this love of like. Showing something and then going, no, 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 you don't get it. And then, like, giving an explanation of, like, no, this is why this is so big. You know? <laughs> like, just a little bit of, like, you don't have perspective. I'm going to give you perspective. Like, the thing with, like, oh, there's so much mail here that they have to hire on extra people. It's like, there's already a lot of mail here. And they have to add, like, extra people on board. And yeah. then, like, also his language was very... called snow at one point. Like, basically used, like, a yeah, snow, like, under. Like, yeah, like, imagery. Yeah, under. <laughs> Which I love. I yeah. I love. I love visualizing that, like a ginormous snowbank size amount of letters showing up at Bag End. So already right off the bat, it's like I like how this chapter is showing a tone of comfort, a tone mm-hmm. of humor, a tone of warmth that is in many ways similar to the first bit of The Hobbit, but almost like deeper. Mm-hmm. Like it, I can almost feel it a little bit more. And then also, as we'll find out later, a little bit of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. We get a, a little bit here and there. Like, you know, when, when even when Gandalf first arrived, we were told, uh, you know, he's there for the party, but he also is there on graver business, even if the yeah, hobbits yeah. didn't know it. So, yeah, we're getting little nudges here and there that, Also, hey, he has a silver are, scarf. Yeah. He has a He still has a silver <laughs> scarf. I made note of that. And his hat is blue. It has blue. So this party is going on, and Bilbo's giving out presents, uh, many of which... 
people are like doubling out back to get in yeah. line again. <laughs> the, the greedier hobbits. Well, apparently they're, they're, they're like you just, do on Halloween. You go change your costume and then go back to the same house. For, for Hobbit birthdays, they don't get gifts. They, they give gifts. Yes. And they're never meant to be very extravagant, but they, they make a note, like Tolkien makes a note of like, but Bilbo's were just kind of like that, like extra bit of special mm-hmm. in this well, one, in the in the, for this birthday. Yeah, and even some of them had been ordered from Dale, which, as we know from earlier, there are great toys made in Dale. And he got crackers from Dale as well. Mm-hmm. Which, as someone who has previously read The Hobbit, that made me kind of like, oh, no. oh, they got their they got their stuff back together. <laughs> yeah, it's been sixty years, and now it seems that Dale is flourishing again. Hooray! Um, so yeah, there's. There's songs and dances and games and tons of great food and music and <laughs> and there's there's a, a family tent mm-hmm. which has a, a dozen dozen of people in it which narrator narrator says which is also known as a gross but that's considered rude to refer to a group of people to a group of people as a gross, gross. <laughs> and so but it's, it was also the number was specifically chosen because because Gandalf or Gandalf Bilbo, Bilbo and Frodo's combined age is 144. Which is what twelve dozen twelve twelves a dozen twelves and also so he's giving this speech and he kind of starts off saying this and the Sackville Bagginses are there at the family tent and they're so offended they're like ah, we were only invited to be number yeah you know, one forty three <laughs> and one forty four <laughs> and I like to reference that point and as someone who again someone's read The Hobbit that little bit where it specifically references them is like, oh, like I know you what remember, that is. I know what that is. You remember the Sackville yeah. Bagginses, yeah. They're still, they want to get their grubby hands on the bag end, right? So, yeah, this, this dinner is going on, and there's great food, and everyone's having fun, and there's even some really young hobbit children that were invited into the family tent. And now it's time for Bilbo to give his speech, which, since they've had so much good food and wine, the guests are not quite as annoyed yet as they would normally be because Bilbo is prone to telling weird stories about his adventures, and he's prone to spouting off poetry, which they don't particularly want to hear. <laughs> so the, he's, he begins giving this speech, and it's just... We have that, that familiar Bilbo voice, right? That's, yeah. I don't know. He just has a way of speaking. I, I felt this, I felt very comfortable with like, oh yeah, coming right off the Hobbit. I know this dude. This yeah, this speech is brilliant. I love it. They did a really good job of capturing it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we'll we'll get to. He references most of the families mm-hmm. and even makes jokes that go over their heads, and even referenced the gross thing. Yeah, and just, just like no, but no one totally offended just, them. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> uh, and I loved his. He 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 says he's. One of the he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve, which is great because they're you know like then the narrator tells us that there's silence after that as they're trying to work that out. Was that an insult or a compliment? <laughs> or, <laughs> and Bilbo goes on and he says, you know, this is a birthday of significance, and you know it's I'm turning 111, and my dear Frodo is turning 33. And then he s- says, finally, and he does actually he talk a little bit about, uh, he, he remembers uh, the anniversary, yeah, uh, the anniversary of my arrival by Beryl at Esgaroth on the Long Lake. That was nice. That that happened to be his birthday, even though he nice. didn't know it. And so he says, at that point in time, I had a cold, and I, all I could say was, thank you very much. But I can <laughs> say to you, thank you very much for coming here to celebrate my birthday. And then he gets to his so, so-called so joke that he has planned. 
And the, and the thing is, is he's got he's got he 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 says he's going now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't plan to come back. And there's a big flash of light, and he disappears. He says goodbye. And yeah, there he, he there's a big to flash be, of light, and Bilbo disappears. To be more correct, he disappears, and there's a big flash. And there's of light. a big flash. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he disappears, and there's a big flash of light. That's right. Um, so everyone's dumbfounded. But and they I, keep parting. Yeah. Well, they're but but also they're like, well, I think that was in poor taste, and I need more wine. <laughs> I just feel like it's like when the host of the party just like backs out. Yeah. <laughs> just like peace. They'll never know I was here, and it just floats away, and. <laughs> And then Frodo just like kind of like knows it was coming, but still like he like they say about like there was commotion, but he's the one who's just kind of like yeah calm in the storm where he knows what was going to happen, but he still doesn't it doesn't sit too well with him. Yeah. Like he kind of let it go, but he doesn't quite like it very much. Yeah, it, it, it made point of that. And so, yeah, so Frodo kind of is left to take care of what's left of the party. Meanwhile, Bilbo goes back home. And immediately begins preparing to leave. And he takes off his nice party clothes and puts on some grubby traveling clothes. He packs a bag, including a leather-bound book, which we know is his personal diary, which will later become the basis for The Hobbit. And then he also packs an envelope um, with some papers in it containing his will. When he makes to put it on the mantelpiece. Yeah. Then he just, like... Puts in his pocket. Well, this envelope also contained the ring, yeah. which he intended to leave for Frodo. So he was going to leave it on the mantelpiece, but then, yeah, at the last second, mm-hmm. and it's involuntary. Yeah. Slips it back into his pocket. It's almost nothing. Yeah. Like, if you're not even paying attention. Yeah. Unless you realize what's happening, you wouldn't really pay attention And then to Gandalf it. has... This, this is when Gandalf shows yeah, up. Yeah, so well, Gandalf walks in. There's a nice bit where, he, as he's packing, he takes out a cloak, which has very clearly been lovingly stored and it's kind of ratty and it's been so patched up you can't even really tell what the original color was maybe it was green yeah oh yeah and i just liked that bit it was like oh it's just like cloak from that's the yeah that's his cloak from his adventure uh, yeah so, then gandalf shows up yeah and, so and bill was like what took you so long i was expecting you <laughs> and gandalf you know asked him are you really gonna go through with this and bilbo again uh, says, yeah, I need a long holiday and I really don't intend to come back from it. He says, he says, I love this quote, he says, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. And he wants to go off somewhere where he won't be bothered by people. And he wants to see mountains again and he wants to see elves again and uh, and he wants to finish his book for which he already has an ending and he lived happily ever after to the end of his days. And Gandalf says, well, that's all fine and good, and I'll keep an eye on Frodo. Um, and Bilbo says, yeah, I'm leaving everything to him, including the ring. And Gandalf's like, that's a good idea. Where is it? Where, yeah, where is, is it? it? Oh, it's just on the mantelpiece. No, it's not. Oh, like, it's oh. in my pocket. How'd it get there? Well, isn't that funny? How did this happen to turn come into my pocket? When he starts becoming very, like, covetous of that well, ring and like holding it G- Gandalf in. is trying to convince him to leave it and they yeah. start fighting and he's, Gandalf's trying to reason with them and Bilbo starts to get angrier and angrier about it and then you know he even goes so far as to accuse Gandalf of trying to take it from him and he says you know you know this this came to me and eventually he, finally Bilbo gets so worked up he even like goes for his knife that he's got on his belt and he calls it my precious 
Gandalf makes a point to say that's never been called it's been called that before, but not by you. Yeah. And starts to I like magic in this world because mm-hmm. it never really feels like it's too upfront about what's happening. Gandalf isn't, I don't feel like, is literally becoming bigger. Mm-hmm. And it, basically an illusion mm-hmm. of his, like a, almost like imagery of his anger kind of manifesting in the world around him is happening. And we've seen this before where Gandalf, you know, Gandalf has, you know, used pretty spectacular feats of magic before. For example, he fried a couple of orcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... A lot of Gandalf's magic is very subtle. And this is kind of one of those things, but it is kind of terrible, though, and it scares Bilbo. And well, the, he also does the flash at the party because right. he decided that he needed to cover up Bilbo using the ring to give people kind of reasonable doubt. Right, yeah. Like, oh, it was just a parlor trick. Yeah. Um, so Bilbo finally concedes that he's going to leave the ring. And, and it's not even after, I mean, it's not because of Gandalf is angry. He explains, it's because I'm your friend, yeah. and I care about you, and I want to make sure... I'm trying to help you. Yeah, and I want to make sure that you leave everything... It's almost like he's, like, trying to, like, poke and prod at... He really wants Bilbo to leave it. Yeah. To be the one who leaves it. To make that decision. Yeah. And, and to kind of, like, hide the fact that he's trying to help him. And well, and at one point, Bilbo asks Gandalf to give it to Frodo, and Gandalf says, don't give it to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He specifically wants Bilbo to leave it on the mantelpiece, and Gandalf says, I will make sure Bil- or Frodo finds it, and I will keep him safe. And, and they start talking for a little while. Well, it's, it's, will you keep an eye on Frodo? And it's this great line, two eyes as often as um, I can spare them. Yeah. And Which, uh, he's so nice. And, and like they start talking a little bit, and Frodo's like, or Bilbo's like, all right, I'm going to be off on my way now. And it's like, no, you gotta take that ring out. Like, you gotta, you gotta put it somewhere. You gotta actually leave the ring. And finally, he <laughs> actually does do it. Yeah. So you know, as as we know from little bits here and there before, and as as we know from what we've learned about the ring before, this is the ring. The ring. This is the and and this is but this is what the ring does. You know, Bilbo has had it in his possession, yeah. and this is how Gollum became what Gollum is. The ring has a way of making you do what it wants you to do because again it's trying to find its way back to its master so bilbo it's kind of great though bilbo is ready to leave and he and he just calls out to the dwarves he's like well are we ready to go and there were three dwarves hop out i didn't expect that hi ho hi ho to see the elves we go well, and they leave, and they specifically leave a certain way to not be to draw any attention to themselves. Yeah. And they sing this little song. On yeah, the way he sings to... this little song, it's and like... Bilbo's like, "Oh, what fun to be out on an adventure with dwarves again!" Yeah, which is it was like there's another like great moment. It was like the little the last tendril of the Hobbit finally being pulled away. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, okay, now we're done with the Hobbit. Like mm-hmm. that story is done now. Yeah, we're moving on to a different story. This is like where it's bleeding in with this other one. And it, yeah, at this point now we get I, it's it's like things are becoming there's more intrigue now. And Gandalf comes back, or Gandalf waits for Frodo, and Frodo finally comes back, and he wishes that it had been a joke after all, and that he had been able to say goodbye to his uncle, and wonders if he'll ever see him again. And Gandalf kind of wonders the same, um, and he tells. 
Frodo that Bilbo has left him his will and all of his possessions at Bag End, including a golden ring. And Frodo's like, he left the ring for me? Well, that could be useful. And Gandalf says, no, 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 no. Please don't use it. Please don't use it. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Actually, it says keep it safe and very secret. Yeah, keep it safe and very secret. Because in the movie, they say... They say keep it secret and keep it safe, yep. Which uh, flows a little bit oh, it better. Does, it yeah. does. And then the next day, people start coming by because Bilbo has bequeathed individual possessions. and it's With little notes to it's them. It's great because like the person who borrowed books and never returned to them, he gave a bookshelf. Yeah. To the Sackville Bagginses, he gave a bunch of spoons because they had previously stolen a bunch. Ah. And it's, ah. yeah, all of these ah. things are, you know, some of them are sweet things that he's given to, like, Hobbit children, but most of the things are, like, little jabs at people. It's so, it's great. They're, they're all... Well, none of them really would sort get of like it, but... jokes yeah. and tricks, and yeah, even if they don't get it, it's just, it, it, I love it. It's and, Bilbo's and mass character. chaos happens, and pandemonium, and... People are like trading things, trying to steal stuff. Like, and the Sackville Bagginses are again trying to take Bag End. People are they, n- knocking on the walls trying to find like the treasure. Yeah, somebody started digging in the kitchen. The Sackville Bagginses demand to look at the will, but thankfully that will is airtight. Yeah, and <laughs> so that's seven it, signatures. Because it, it, <laughs> it says it says uh, it goes to the kid. Screw you! Like <laughs> <laughs> that's what it says. Like well, can't. That's pretty ironclad. Frodo has his friend Mariatic come and help him kind hey, no of... No one calls him that. No bouncer. one even knows that name. Yeah, they do. I know they do. It's just it's, Mary, it's the main point yeah. of, like, no one calls him that. Uh, and Mary's kind of helping out, being a bouncer for him, and finally they get everyone to leave. And Frodo is going to have a cup of tea, and then someone knocks on the door, and Frodo decides to ignore it, and then he hears Gandalf's <laughs> voice, Let me in, or I will blow this door through the hole and through the out, the back side of the mountain. <laughs> Which was super weird. I felt that was a little like, okay, alright, whoa. And so now we have this little discussion between Frodo and Gandalf. And Gandalf asks Frodo, how much do you know about the ring? And Frodo reveals that he does know the true story of how Bilbo came to find the ring and that he found it weird and unlike Bilbo that he would invent this story of it being a present that Gollum had to give him. Yeah, why lie about that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, why lie yeah. about that? And so basically Gandalf reiterates, do not use it. Keep it hidden away. I will be back. <laughs> Please let me in whenever you see me because I'm not going to I'm not going to make my presence known. <laughs> and it, all the other hobbits are are displeased with my presence anyway. They think I'm a troublemaker, so I'm going to be here seldom, but I will be back. <laughs> That's where it ends, right? That's yeah. Where it yeah. I started reading everything else after that, so I kind of like. <laughs> I, actually, I thought the um, the part where they were coming into the house, I thought that was in the next chapter for some reason. But yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right off the bat, I love this. Like, <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Weirdly, I feel like the and I and I said this before how I expected the summer like there was the Summerlin over here on one hand, and then there's the Hobbit on the other end. Mm-hmm. Of a spectrum was what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Two ends of a spectrum, and I feel like Lord of the Rings is going to fit right in the middle. Middle, and I feel like that's kind of true. There, but it's far more readable than that. Kind of like how Bilbo has moments where he's Tookish or he's Bagginsish. Uh, this book has moments where it's Hobbitish and where it's Summerillionish. <laughs> uh, yeah, specifically the Council of Elrond, which is like a hundred pages long and it's all dialogue and it's all just like super thick. 
Mm-hmm. But that was particularly hard for me to get through as a 12-year-old. Well, and it's... I like it so far. I really like it so far. That's the, that's the thing. It's, yeah. Um, the Lord of the Rings is delightful. And while I, you know, it's clearly not for everybody. And as Tolkien said, you know, there are people who complain about certain parts of it. But there, but there are also other people who love those same parts of, of it. So... <sighs> I just like that I can read this. I can still read this and get I get exactly what was in that chapter versus yep. Silmarillion where I had to <laughs> I had to read it and then go and read what other people wrote about it to yeah. make sure okay, I got all I right, mean, I got it. All right. You know, The Lord of the Rings, this is more dense than The Hobbit, but it's still a novel. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's gonna be a little easier to follow. Um but yeah. Well it's really funny and it's it's really like it's not I, I mean I would say almost the point that like the Hobbit felt almost too light this one just feels light enough where it's like we're gonna have the light and then we're gonna have the especially next week oh and my ag- god next week and <laughs> again because you know again the hobbit kids story lord of the rings not the sequel it started out as <laughs> this is much more you know tolkien wanted to he put a lot more similar like stuff from the Lord of the from it's, the Silmarillion into this story. It's easily six times bigger yeah. than the Hobbit. Oh, oh, yeah, so. yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Again, there's there there's a clear reason why this was not published in one volume in nineteen fifty five. Well <laughs> just you wait until we get into kind of the, the thick of the story where everybody's separated. Yeah. And we've got this group here and this group here and this group here. Because in the movies they actually did a lot of kind of untangling of that and trying to present them chronologically as is. So like a lot of the stuff that we see in the Return of the King movie actually was published in the Two Towers. And I know about some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah and they yeah. were like reshuffling it to try and make a, you know, a, a more compelling... To make a movie. Yeah, movie narrative. Mm-hmm. So as you read it, it's going to be a lot more just kind of like complex as a book. And I, you know, yeah. I kind of talked about that a little bit at the beginning with this idea of like multiple narratives and stuff. But mm-hmm. this is really Tolkien not only flexing his muscles as a world builder, but as an author. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what was everyone's favorite bits? The 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 the, the nasty gifts. <laughs> really yeah. nasty, like the spiteful. The ones. spiteful ones, yeah. Just oh god, yeah, that's great. Mine, I think, is, I think it's that uh, conversation that the gaffer has with the with the miller, and there's a particular line in it. I wrote it down. Um, they're talking about uh, so the miller says they're you know they're queer they're getting visitors from dwarves and Gandalf and going off on trips and Hamfast replies that Bilbo and Frodo are good people and says that if that's being queer then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts I love that that was great <laughs> I, I, it reminded me of the it reminded me a little bit of the end what Thorin said to uh, Bilbo exactly it's the same yeah. tone that if more people valued you know a good meal and song then this world would be a happier place. I have three words. Mm-hmm. Concerning pipe weed. <laughs> that was my favorite thing in this whole section of reading. That was so great. Which I don't know I if I laughed we, so hard during that whole part. I don't know if we mentioned it at the time, but that actually, you know, Mary becomes a scholar of yeah, pipe yes. weed. And so all of this information, like Mary has done all of this research on the history so of pipe cute, weed. And, and he's like, the authority on it. It's just that weird element of like the commentary made about Big Lebowski. And well, I mean, not even that. I'm just, I just like that. That's like their one real art form. Yeah. It's yeah. That's cute, and it's fun. It is. And it's it absolutely sums up hobbits. They are a people of comfort. 
and happiness and they would like nothing more than to sit around and smoke a pipe and give gifts to their friends and eat good food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will see uh, the beginnings of what is to come for our new Hobbit friend, Mr. Frodo. Next week is an info dump, but a super interesting <laughs> info dump. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you next week with chapter two of the Fellowship of the Ring. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you're an iTunes subscriber and you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help us grow our podcast and help with expenses such as microphones and server space. Every little bit is appreciated.